before the break, we reviewed what we studied last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. We refreshed our mind that the message of that section is that believers should avoid idolatry since everything associated with it is incompatible with the Christian faith. Exposes one to the demons and so harms one's fellowship with the Lord. So we gave the father the, the apostle, uh, we stated the father the apostles had given some reasons. Believers should avoid idolatry. The first general reason is the uniqueness of the Lord's Supper that is described in verses 16 and 17. So we indicated that the cup signified the sharing the blessings of the death of Christ, including the forgiveness of our sins. The bread we indicated signified belonging to the body of Christ. Therefore, since these things are are true, then it's unbecoming for someone who belongs to the body of Christ or who has these privileges to be involved in idolatry. Second general reason, that's where we started in the, second, in the first session, and that is the nature of sacrifices both in ancient Israel and among pagans argued against believers being involved in idolatry, and that second reason is given in verses 18 through 20. So the apostle began by drawing our attention to Israel. So in verse 18, we read where he says, Consider the people of Israel. So the apostle wanted the Corinthians and so all believers to ponder on the nature of Israel's sacrifices to recognize that it is improper for the believer to be involved in idolatry. He wanted believers to focus on Israel. So, we say there's a whole lot more to that. The first thing that one of the things that we looked at is of course the name Israel refers to Jacob when his name was changed. But at the same time, we also indicated that there is an Israel that is considered true Israel and one that's not. And so that... um, we could see the Apostle Paul referring to that in Romans 9, 6, whereby he says, For not all Israel, or those who are descended from Israel, are Israel. And we say that that intended to convey that not everyone that is physically a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a believer. Only those who have the same faith in the Lord that Abraham believed in. So that we see that when he said the people of Israel, that really means literally according to the flesh. So that being the case, we want to focus on the reality that yet there are people who claim to be Christians, but they are not. They do so because they belong to 
uh, one of the local churches that goes by the name Christian. Now, Israel, that we should focus on is the spiritual Israel. And the spiritual Israel is represented by the priests. So the priests were consecrated to God and they were responsible for Israel's sacrifices. We emphasize that the spiritual life of believers depends on the teaching of the word of God. So Israel's priests were responsible for teaching Israel. Now, so the question is, how did we actually come from what's written in that passage to talk about priests? And we indicated that is because of the rhetorical question, verse 18, that says, Do not think, uh, do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. So we indicated that the mentioning of that, uh, the mention of sacrifices imply priests. And that's why we started to look at priests. In order to see what the apostle was after, or what was his point for me, asking that rhetorical question, we said we need to look at the key various words used. So we have begun with the word sacrifice. And so far, we have seen before the break that it can be used in a figurative way to describe something that is doing good that is pleasing to God. And that, that's the way the apostle used the Greek word thusia. Uh, that Greek word thusia. That's the way he used it in Philippians 4, verse 18. And that's why we stopped before break, and that's where we began. Philippians 4, verse 18 reads, I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They, they are a fragrant offering. You see, the gifts. And I look at what he described them. An acceptable sacrifice. Pleasing to God. So the word sacrifice can refer to that which is pleasing to God. In this case, uh, taking care of those who deal with the gospel. Now the human author of Hebrews describes praising God as sacrifice. So he did in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 It reads Through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. In other words, none of us is to bring a bull any longer or something to slaughter for the Lord. He doesn't need that from us anymore. All he needs now, sacrifice of praise. Praise him, talk about what he's done for you. That's part of praising God. Every opportunity you have, tell what he's doing for you or what he's done for you. That's what part of the sacrifice of praise is. So in any case, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 
chapter 10 verse 18, the Greek word uh, is used with the meaning sacrifice, of course that is, the act of killing an animal as an act of worship, or as restitution, or atonement in regard to a deity. Now there are different kinds of sacrifices mentioned in the Old Testament scripture. A first, a first major usage of sacrifices in the Old Testament is for offering thanks to God for his goodness. After the Lord delivered Noah from the deluge or the flood, we read of him offering sacrifice to the Lord in form of thanksgiving in Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20 reads, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, praised God for his goodness to Israel in delivering them from bondage in Egypt, as we read in Exodus chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. Exodus chapter 18, verses 9 through 11 reads, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. He then completed his praise and thanksgiving to the Lord by offering different kinds of sacrifices. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Exodus 18 verse 12 says, Then Jethro... Moses' father-in-law brought a bond offering and other sacrifices to God and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Now so, after the Lord forced the hands of the Philistines through inflicting some kind of sufferings on them to return the ark of the Lord which they of course captured in the battle with Israel the Levites thanked God by offering sacrifices as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 6 verse, verses 15 and 16 For Samuel For Samuel chapter 16, 
verses 15 and 16. It is, the Levites took down the ark of the Lord, together with the chest containing the gold objects, and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Akron. So here we see sacrifice for praise as the point of praise for God. Now the psalmist conveyed that sacrifice to God is a way to praise him for his deliverance as he promised he would do in Psalms 27 verses 5 through 6. That this is one of those promises that you can add to your promises. Proverb, I mean Psalms twenty-seven verse five, reads: For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling; he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle, and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. As his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So that's the first major type of sacrifice is concerned with praising God. A second major usage of sacrifices in the Old Testament scripture is for the atonement or for dealing with sins. When an individual sinned, the person was required to offer sacrifices to atone for the person's sins as stipulated in Leviticus chapter 4 verses 1 and 3. And hold on to Leviticus chapter 4 in particularly. Leviticus chapter 4 verse 1 reads, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bringing a guilt, I mean bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull with a defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Now the same offering of sacrifices was required in the case of the community of Israel if they sinned. Still in that Leviticus chapter 4, look at verses 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14 of Leviticus chapter 4. 
He reads, If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, they are guilty. That's why I said, whether we, we recognize what we're doing is sin or not, it doesn't matter. Before God, once we do something that's contrary to His will, that's, we're guilty of sin. So when they become aware of the sin they committed, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. Now, so sacrifices to the Lord, then as we have demonstrated, serve two major purposes of thanksgiving and atonement for sins. However, there were other occasions sacrifices were offered in Israel. Now, these other occasions fall between the two major usages that we identified. So, after King Hezekiah purified the temple, the people offered sacrifices that served both as thanksgiving and dealing with their sin, as we read in Second Chronicles chapter 29. Verses 31 and 32. Second Chronicles. Chapter 29. Verses 31 through 32. He reads, Then Hezekiah said, You have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offering. The number of burnt Offerings the assembly brought was 70 bulls, a hundred rams, and 200 male lambs, all of them for bond offerings to the Lord. So here, thanksgiving and bond offering for sins. Now the same, I mean, uh, offerings for sins, the same process of thanksgiving and dealing with sins are reflected in the dedication ceremony of the second temple built by the Israelites who returned from the exile. As we read in Ezra chapter 6 verses 16 and 17. Ezra chapter 6 verses 16 and 17. Ezra chapter 6 verse 16 reads, Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, 
200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. So the point is that sacrifices then serve two major purposes. That of thanksgiving and atonement for sin. Now, Apostle Paul must have in mind all kinds of sacrifices that the priests were able to share in, as in that clause where it says, in First Corinthians ten eighteen, we are studying where it says, "Those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar." Or literally, the Greek says, "The ones eating the sacrifices." Partake, I mean, partakers of the altar. Now, the verbal phrase, eat sacrifices, is probably a reason, something that those who eat the sacrifices are not the priests, but ordinary Israelites. Now, this is unlikely, for even in the case that people were invited. In ancient Israel, under Prophet Samuel, to eat the sacrifice, that was not a noun that is given in the Old Testament scripture when sacrifices were presented on the altar. But there's a case where that happened, where people were invited to eat from the sacrifices, and I'm referring to the incident recorded in 4 Samuel chapter 9, verses 12 through. 13. For Samuel, and hold on to For Samuel though. For Samuel chapter 9, verse 12 reads, He is, they answered, He's ahead of you. Hurry now, he has just come to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. I mean, high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Go up now, you, you shall find him about this time. Now the event reported here indicates that there were sacrifices that Israel community or a select group participated in eating. But that does not imply that it was a norm for the people to eat every kind of sacrifice offered at the altar. Now the most we can say though is that those who eat the food sacrificed were priests. But occasionally, the community will be involved. Occasionally. So by the way, Samuel was a Levite. And probably from the priestly family. Now I don't know about you, how much you read through the Bible... But it's always bothered me when I read about Samuel. 
that he offers sacrifices and accuses. I mean, I read it as just was reading and go my way, but I just he bothered me as to how can he do that? How can he offer sacrifices? Until when I got to study this passage, that's when I really actually dug into it and and realized yes, he was qualified, and I'll show you how. Now, the reason I say this is because of a statement that seemed to contradict what I just said. In other words, he's a Levite. But that's not what you read if you read through the Bible easily. The very first time. So let me take you to that place. For Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now here's the reason I, you know, when I started this morning I told you I'm going to give you a lot of information that expositional teaching means that we touch a lot of things. Understand a lot of things. So if you have ever dealt with this here's where my own problem at that point laid. Here, here it is. There was a certain man from Ramah came a Sufite from the country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram. Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Suf, and Ephraimite. Now that's the problem. When I, used, when I read it many years ago, and every time I read it, I keep wondering my mind. Because it says here, he's an Ephraimite. So how can an Ephraimite offer sacrifices? That belongs to the Levites, the priests. So when I got to this, studying this passage, then I started going to deep, begin the scripture to find out, is this not a contradiction? That somebody from Ephraim will offer sacrifice. And as I studied more, I found he was not and Ephraimite. It was a Levite. And, and that may cause a problem, so let's try to resolve that. So really, there's an explanation for asserting that Elkanah was, you know, according to this in, uh, passage, it said he was an Ephraimite. Now, do we have an explanation for that? It is this. Why, if he's a Levite, why is it? What I've just said he's a Levite. So why would we read here as an Ephraimite? The reason is that Levites were stationed among the tribes that they had to uh, minister uh, as priests or Levites too. So because Samuel's father was a, uh, a Levite who lived in Ephraim, in the territory of the tribe of Ephraim. He was called an Ephraimite. That's why. It's not that he's an Ephraimite. It's because he lives within the, Ephraim, uh, the territory of Ephraim. Remember, the priests didn't have a territory of their own. They were scattered in Israel because they have to minister. They were their priests, and so on. So that's why uh, he could be called an Ephraimite. 
He is not from Ephraim in that respect. He is of the tribe of Levi. How do we know that? Well, records in Chronicles indicate that Elkanah, the father of Samuel, was a Levite. Specifically, a uh, uh, what we call a Kohotite. That is, of course, the priestly family. This we know from First Chronicles chapter six, verses thirty-three and thirty-four. Now here we he reads. Here are the men who serve together with their sons from Kohetites, Haman, the musician, the son of Joel, the son of Samuel, the son of Elkanah. Now remember in 1 Samuel 1.1, What's the name of uh, his uh, Samuel's father? He says, "Who was from?" His name was Elkanah. So here we read Samuel, the son of Elkanah. So you now see, they say the son of Jehoram, the same name that we read in First Samuel one one. So we see that is a way to resolve that. If you ever, if it ever bothered you, I hope you got the result. Because it bothered me until I started studying this passage. I just couldn't understand how an Ephraimite could be offering sacrifices. But I just read in the Bible, not studying it. I just read it. And just... Anyway, so this passage clearly indicates Samuel was not an Ephraimite. That's why we have to study the Bible. Somebody can read that and say, Oh, yeah, I see your, your Bible always conflict. Because here is an Ephraimite offering sacrifices. And here God says, No, only the Levites. Now you have an explanation. Another reason that supports though that Samuel was a Levite and of the priestly family is that Eli, the priest, accepted him to serve as an apprentice to him or he accepted to mentor him as a priest. That would not have happened if he was not of the priestly family. Anyway, that, this aside, despite some people being invited to eat, to eat of the sacrifice in time of Samuel, it is not the, a norm in Israel for ordinary people to eat of the sacrifices offered on the altar. Thus we still contain the clause of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18 that we're starting where it says those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. Or literally, the ones eating the sacrifices partakers of the altars. That refers to the priests. Couldn't refer to another person, but to the priests. Now the second word we really need to consider in that rhetorical question is the word 
participate in the NIV, that word is translated from a Greek noun. That means one who takes part in something with someone. Hence, the Greek word may mean partner in, say, business. In business. As it is used to describe those who were in fishing business with Simon Peter. As we read in Luke chapter 5 verse 10. Now it's one of those things, as you recall, when we started looking, I didn't make the point that it's because of the general ignorance of people about the scripture and thinking about things written in the scripture. That some of them say the apostles were very poor. I say, no, they weren't. They were those, not all of them, there will be some, but some, most of them were rich before that God, uh, the Lord called. Now they say, fishermen. And I say, think about for a moment. If you're going to hire some fishermen to work for you, would you consider yourself poor? No. By the standard of that time. So they weren't poor fishermen. So they were in you know, big business, as we think about it today. Anyway, with that in mind, look at what verse 10 says in Luke 5. It says, And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, and see that word partner, sorry, is our Greek word. He said, uh, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. Now the word may mean shara, as the Greek word is used by Apostle Paul, to indicate that the Corinthians shared in his suffering. As we read in Second Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. It reads, And our hope for you is firm, because we know. That just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. See, the sentence of the NIV, you share in our sufferings, is more literally from the Greek, you are sharers in the sufferings. You are sharers in the suffering. Now, the Greek word may mean partaker or participant, as it is used to indicate uh, of believers, being given immortality and incorruptibility and exhibiting divine character as stated in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 4. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 4. Reads. 
Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. See, the sentence of the NIV when he said, you may participate in divine nature. It's more literally, you may become partakers of divine nature. In other words, there's something about God's nature, or really something about his attributes that we partake of, we become partakers of. Now, in our passage though, of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 18, the Greek word has a sense of collaborator. Collaborator. That is, an associate in an activity or endeavor or sphere of common interest, especially one in which the associates both uh, participate in profits or benefits. Those those who eat the sacrifices are collaborators or associates in the activity of sacrificing in the altar of Israel's worship system. Now this makes much sense if apostle had a mind priests who were collaborators in the activities that took place in the altar in the nation of Israel. As in the verbal phrase of what we study in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18 when it say, participate in the altar, or literally partakers of the altar. Now the word altar, which is really the uh, third word that we need to consider, is translated from a Greek word that may mean altar as a reference to a structure on which cultic observances are carried out, including specifically sacrifices. So, the Greek word can refer to the altar of burnt offering in the inner forecourt of the temple at Jerusalem as the location where Zechariah was murdered as the Lord referenced in Luke chapter 11 verse 51. Luke Luke chapter 11 verse 51. It is from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Now, those things, we studied this a long time ago, but uh, for one thing, Matthew puts a little bit different in, the, in describing this passage and he shows us the first person and the last person 
in the Old Testament. And I try to explain that what that means is because of the arrangement of the book of the Bible in the, uh, with the uh, Jews, that the way they arrange it, we end our Bible with Malachi. That's not the end with the Chronicles. So that anyone uh, given in Chronicles could be saved the last. It wasn't that uh, they actually were the last in, in that respect of the record we have in our own Bible. But with the Jewish Bible, yes. But anyway, here the Lord is talking about descendants who are going to be guilty of what their grandparents did. And I explained that many times that yes, we all become guilty of what our forefathers did if we in any form of shape express or share a belief in what they did. In any form of shape. If we do, we become guilty. But if you're not, the Lord is not going to hold you responsible until you share in any form of shape whatever it is that they did. Anyway, the Greek word may refer to altar of incense, as it is used then to describe where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, went to offer sacrifice when an angel appeared to him. As we read still in Luke, look at chapter 1, verse 11. Luke. Chapter 1, verse 11. It is then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So here, this, the Greek word that we are looking at, translated altar here, refers to the altar of incense. The Greek word may refer to an altar in a general sense, as in the complaint of prophet Elijah to the Lord that the apostle Paul quoted in Romans chapter 11 verse 3. Romans Romans chapter 11 verse 3. It is, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And of course the Lord corrected him. And say, yeah, there are about 7,000 people who haven't bowed down to bow. So, a lot of time we think we're the only one. Whatever, whether we're the only one suffering, <coughs> and we're not. There are others. So, no matter what you think you're going through, you're not the first. Neither will you be the last. So, you know there are other believers somewhere experiencing what, you've, what you're experiencing now. So that you won't have any excuse before God. Because some of those, they are faithful, and so you should be. But anyway, uh, the issue here is that Elijah said, I'm the only one. 
And usually that is one of those things I say when people say, Hey, God cannot do this. He has not done this. And I always say, hmm, You must be omniscient and omnipresent to make such kind of statement. You don't know all that it is. You only know your little world and that's all you think. And so you think, oh, if it doesn't happen in my little world, it doesn't happen anywhere. No. That's what this passage reminds us. Don't think that just because it doesn't happen around you, that that means it's unique to you. No, it's not. Anyway, the uh, Greek word may be used figuratively to refer to the heavenly altar. The heavenly altar. Mentioned in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 10. It is, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. See, it is our interpretation that the sentence we have an altar here is a reference to a heavenly altar. That's why we say it's literal, it's not in a physical way. It's not a, a physical structure in heaven like we have on, on planet Earth. In other words, the human author of Hebrews indicates that, believe, that uh, believers have a heavenly altar in which a different kind of Sacrifice is brought to God. A sacrifice of praise. That's the kind of uh, sacrifice that will come to that altar. And that is uh, what is also mentioned in a passage we cited previously. Don't to go back to it, but you can listen. Or you can look at it if it's still in Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 15. Reads, though through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, a fruit of lips that confess his name. Anyway, it is this heavenly altar that is mentioned really in Revelation chapter 8 verse 3. Revelation chapter 8 verse 3. So we've saying that there is an altar but it's not as physical as what Moses was told you make on this planet. That you look at what you see that's in heaven and you make a copy of that. Here it reads Revelation 8 verse 3 says, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar that's in heaven. So it can be a physical altar, but it's something that we, the only way to bring it to our thinking is physical human altar. He was given much incense to offer. Now this is one of those things that tell you, it's not the physical thing. I don't think, but for us, that's the way we can at least begin to think about it. Because when people burn incense, you see smoke going everywhere. But yes, we are told what that is. It says, he was given much incense to offer. 
with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So you see, it's not a physical thing that you see this group that uh, continue to ignore the, <laughs> the New Testament scripture and they still use all these incense in their gatherings. Part of their worship. But really, it does picture something in heaven that there's no way to describe it. And so God gave it to Moses to make something physical that can help people to conceive of it. So anyway, our Greek word may then be used in different ways in describing an altar. In our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18, the Greek word is used in the sense of altar for different kinds of sacrifices. Altar for different kinds of sacrifices. However, there is more to learn though about an altar used in the Old Testament scripture. The primary use of an altar in the Old Testament is for blood sacrifice. As we may gather from the first reference to an altar that Noah built primarily to offer thanksgiving to God after the flood. As in the passage that we cited previously, but we're going to add up more, one more verse to it, and that is Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20 reads, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So this primary usage of an altar, notwithstanding, there were other usages of altars. There was the altar for burning incense. So remember I said the primary is for blood sacrifice. But that's those for burning incense, as we see in Exodus chapter 30 verse 1. Exodus chapter 30 verse 1 Exodus chapter 30 verse 1 reads Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense So now that's again like I mentioned there are people who burn incense today in their local churches I mean, they go back to this thing, but to me, they ignore what the Bible teaches in the, in the New Testament in terms of there's a change in priesthood, therefore, there should be a change in practice. But they ignore that. Anyway. Now, Israel's altar was also used for grain offering. Remember, we say it's blood in particular, now we're saying it's used for 
incense. Then we're referring to grain offering. In Leviticus chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. You stay in Leviticus because we're going to stay there for some time. Leviticus chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 reads Bring the grain offerings made of these things to the Lord. Present it to the priest who shall take it to the altar. He shall take out the memorial portion from the grain offering and burn it on the altar as an offering made by fire an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now those though, who serve in the altar in the temple of Israel, as we've already stated, are clearly the priests who are responsible for offering sacrifices on behalf of Israel. Consequently, the Lord gave them instruction regarding their support from the various sacrifices they were to offer. So we're going to demonstrate to you that yes, the priests, the Levites, they depended entirely from the sacrifices and the offerings. So, they obtained their grain for their own food through the grain offerings in Leviticus chapter 6 verses 14 through 18 now as we see this since I see a direct connection and I've uh, when we started chapter 9 I made a little more comment on this but I see a connection Think about what we are studying here. The Levites, they had no other, they don't do any any other job. They have to depend on what comes from Israel, the rest of the 11 tribes. What comes from them? In other words, if the Israelites obeyed God's instruction, so they will bring their offerings, they will bring their sacrifices. So you think about it that if the Israelite brought so much grain, the Levite will have so much grain. If they brought little, they have little. Which means that if they did what they're supposed to do, as we have seen priests, to teach the people, right? If they teach the people and the people obey God, what does he do? He blesses them. So if he blesses them, then the Levites, the priests, they will be blessed. That is the correlation. That today, I mean, people, you know, fuss about things, about compensating their pastors and so forth. It shouldn't be. If the pastor teaches you, and you're blessed, then you owe it to that pastor to share your blessing. That's what the Bible says. So, if that is the case, if the Israelites, just I want you to get this picture, if all the tribes bring a lot of grain 
because the Lord has blessed them. And they bring their offerings. Think about how much these believers will have. And they praise. Just think about it. That's what we have here. So look at verse 14. He says, These are the regulations for the grain offering. Aaron's sons are to bring it before the Lord in front of the altar. The priest is to take a handful of fine flour and oil together with all the incense on the grain offerings and burn the memorial portion on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Aaron and his sons shall eat the rest of it. But it is to be eaten without yeast in a holy place. They are to eat it in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. It must not be baked with yeast. I have given it to you as your share of the offerings made to me by fire. Like the sin offering and the guilt offering is mostly holy. Any male descendant of Aaron may eat it. It is his regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire for the, for the generations to come. Whoever touches them will become holy. Now the priests then receive their, they have to have meat, not just grain. They receive their meat offering, uh, meat from the sin offering, as seen in that Leviticus chapter 6, look at verses 25 through 26. Iris said to Aaron and his sons, these are the regulations for the sin offering. The sin offering is to be slaughtered before the Lord in the place the burnt offering slaughtered. It is most holy. The priest who offers it shall eat it. It is to be eaten in the holy place in the court of the tent of the meeting. Now, additional meat, though, was obtained through the fellowship offerings. This went differently. I'm not going to read it, but you can write it down in Leviticus chapter 7, verses 28 through 34. Leviticus 7, 28 through 34. Now, altars then, in the Old Testament script, uh, scripture, beside being used for sacrifices, had other usages. Altar was used as a memorial or a monument to help the two and a half tribes of Israel that they not cross over the Jordan to communicate to the future descendants of Israel that they belong to the same God of Israel as the other nine and a half tribes. And that is what is mentioned in uh, Joshua chapter 22 Verses 27 through 29. Joshua. Joshua 22, verse 27 reads, On the contrary, is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at, this, at his sanctuary with our bond offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we, and we said, 
If they ever say this to us or to our descendants, we will answer. Answer. Look at the replica of the lost altar which our fathers built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from Him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrifices other than the altar of the Lord, our God, that stands before His tabernacle. So, the altar was also really considered a table for God. A table for God, the altar. That's, this fact is referred to by prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 41 verse 42. Ezekiel chapter 41 verse 22. Ezekiel 41 verse 22 reads, There was a wooden altar, three cubits high, and two cubits square. Its corners, its base, and its sides were of wood. The man said to me, This is a table that is before the Lord. Now so, this table of course, probably refers to the, pre- uh, the uh, bread of presence, that's referred to in uh, uh, Exodus 25, 30 or so. Now anyway, that aside, that an altar was considered a table for God, is also conveyed in the denunciation of Israel by prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter 1 verse 7 Malachi chapter 1 verse 7 it is you you place the file food on my altar but you ask how have we defied you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. So the altar is a reference to the table. So what I'm saying that the table used here is probably again as a reference to the altar in general that may include the table of the bread of presence and altar of burnt offerings. Anyway, the point is that altar is used as a table for God. So then our consideration of the words used in the rhetorical question of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18 where it says, do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. That, these things we have looked at enable us then to understand what the apostle Paul was concerned. So that is what was he concerned with. We have to go through this lengthy way in order to establish what I'm about to tell you. Well, the thing is, he was probably concerned to show that priests, and by implication, the people of Israel, by sharing the sacrifices offered in the temple, have shared in God's table. In other words, they've eaten in God's table. So the implication is that, that they have identified themselves with God. And have united with each other 
in the worship of God. So that's what he is concerned to share. Israel and all these people, they have eaten at the table of God, for say, and therefore have joined together uh, as God's people. Thus, the apostle point will be that the nature then of the sacrifices of Israel was such that they created unity between them and God and between each other. That's his point. He made this do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. He's saying, look, by doing this, they have created unity between them and God and each other. Does then for anyone that has been identified with the Supreme God to become involved in idolatry is not acceptable to him since that will be an affront to God. In other words, that will be insulting to him that you can be a part of his table and then you turn around and go and worship any other thing. That's the whole issue of the apostle. In, in other words, somebody becomes a part of you and tomorrow they turn around and stab you at the back. That's the kind of thing that we see here. How will a person be a partaker of God's table and then turn around, abandon him to worship an idol? Hence then, a reminder of the message that we are considering that believers should not should avoid idolatry since everything associated with it is incompatible with the Christian faith. And it exposes one to demons and so harm one's fellowship with the Lord. And may I add, as I have already established a long time ago, idolatry is costly. If you don't believe me, just listen to what's going on for the rest of this month. And you know what I mean by idolatry is expensive. A lot of people are going to go into debt because they are in idolatry. And so you see the issue. Anytime you get involved in idolatry, any form it comes, it's very expensive. So it's not only that you expose yourself to demons. And if you are in able, pay attention and listen to how things happen through this time of the year which I've explained many, many times. And you can see a whole of, lot of demonic activities in the increase. Why? Because people are waking up the demons. And that's what is going on. Anyway, so the point is, it is expensive to be involved in idolatry in any form or shape. Let's pray. As we close our study this morning, there may be someone here, or someone to listen over the internet, and we want you to know that God loves you. That's why you have this privilege of listening. And so, He showed His love for you because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven with all His glories to come to this planet to die for your sins and my sins. So He came after He revealed Himself through His miracles, through His teaching. He was arrested, tried, and brought to Golgotha, where they laid him down, near him, causing all kinds of pain of the type you can't even imagine. Yet the Son of God did not let out a cry, 
until the last three hours on the cross when my sins and your sins were poured upon him and judged for our sins. It was so unbearable that he called out, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken that you may be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. How? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you going to believe? Well, if you believe that he is the God-man who died, was buried, rose again the third day, you will have eternal life. So trust in him and you will be saved. On the other hand, if you say, I don't want to believe in him, my friend, you are at the, knocking at the door of hell. Hell is not a picnic place. It's a horrible place. That's what called the Son of God to make the kind of sacrifice he made on your behalf. So accept him and you will receive eternal life. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us to the things that we have studied so that we keep reminding us ourselves that it is incompatible to be believers in you and be involved in idolatry. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.